I'm Michaela Faulkner, Associate Editor of Strip Till Farmer. Welcome to this episode of the Strip Till Farmer podcast series. I encourage you to subscribe to this series wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribing allows you to receive an alert about new episodes when they're released. Thanks to TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics for supporting this podcast series. Want to do more in 2022? Now available in convenient planter box application, TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics is proven by Beck's 2021 PFR to improve yield by 2.7 bushels per acre in soybeans and 4.6 bushels per acre in corn. It also nets $20,000 more in incremental income with every 1,000 acres planted. To calculate your ROI and purchase TerraSim for only $4.35 per acre, visit newleafsim.com 2022. That's newleafsym.com slash 2022. Oh, hey there, neighbor. How's it going? It's Michelle Miller here, AKA the Farm Babe. And hey guys, it's Michelle Miller, the Farm Babe. Hey everyone, I'm here near Gainesville, Florida in a watermelon farm. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Michelle here, AKA the Farm Babe. And today I'd like to talk to you about some myths that I continue to see on social media. With thousands of followers on social media, there's a good chance you've encountered Michelle Miller, aka the Farm Babe, before. Miller is a social media influencer and content creator who uses her platform to dispel myths about production farming and advocate for farmers. She's traveled around the country to visit farming operations of all types with the goal of showing the public how their food is really produced. In today's episode of the Strip Till Farmer podcast, Miller shares her advice for building your farm's social media presence, monetizing your social media content, and affecting change in your local community and beyond. So my name is Michelle Miller, known as the Farm Babe on social media. I work as an online influencer, public speaker, and writer and columnist for multiple publications. I grew up around agriculture, so my family weren't farmers, but my friends were farm kids. And so every day after school, we would ride horses and do chores. And I was involved in 4-H, so I was around agriculture, and, and it was a big part of my life growing up. And I got involved as the farm babe when I went away to college in Los Angeles. I was a big city girl, L.A. and Chicago for most of my 20s. And throughout that time, um, I just had fallen victim to a lot of misinformation with regards to farming and food and agriculture. And I moved to a small town in Iowa, and I dated a farmer for almost eight years. So most of my 30s were spent on a farm. And so I started the Farm Babe in 2014, really as a way to better bridge the gap between consumers and farmers. So kind of coming from the big city background to a small town, like going from downtown Chicago to a town in rural Iowa of a thousand people, my my mind and my eyes were just so opened. And so I really just took it upon myself to do a lot of myth busting is really kind of my niche. And so um, promoting Farmers, agriculture of um, all shapes and sizes, you know, all walks of life. I think any farmer can do a great job, regardless of size or label. And um, we were big into no-till farming when I was on the farm in Iowa. So just because you, you know, are big into no-till and, and cover crops and conservation and all that, you can still grow GMOs or still be called like a conventional farmer. And too often people are trying to peg somebody into a specific bracket. I'm, I, I kind of like to bust myths and break barriers. That's kind of how it all started. <laughs> mm -hmm. In Iowa, what were you no-tilling and how many acres? 
Well, I know it'll come as a shock, but we were growing corn in Iowa. (laughs) (laughs) Corn, soybeans, oats, hay, grew some cereal rye for cover crop seed and uh, had commercial scale uh, sheep and beef cattle. So I did some direct to consumer sales at the local farmers markets. And so uh, it was really uh, about 2,000 acres. I lived there for about seven years and I went through a breakup and started my life over. And so now I live on a 17 acre farm near Gainesville, Florida, where the winters are a little more gentle. (laughs) Yes, definitely. What led you to going from encountering these different myths that people believe about farming to actually using a platform to dispel those myths? When I was in LA and Chicago, I actually did fall victim to all the myths, which really stemmed my passion to overcome and debunk myths because I saw the movie Food Inc. back in the day. And that was really kind of what propelled me down this spiral of, oh, I have to buy organic and I have to avoid GMOs and I have to be careful about where my meat comes from and all this stuff because there's a ton of misinformation in that movie Food Inc. And that's really what had propelled me into this organic eating lifestyle. There's really nothing wrong with if a farmer chooses to grow organic, but what's wrong is all the misinformation. So I had been led to believe that GMOs were just the devil and they were just drenched in toxic chemicals and all this stuff that you hear. Um, But then the more I learned uh, and I moved to, say, a GMO crop farm and I saw how great everybody was taking care of the soil and how minimal chemicals were used and how GMOs were actually a good thing. The more I just started to dive in deep on how much information are we hearing about food is actually true. I had gone from falling victim to all the myths back in my early 20s and stuff. Like I couldn't afford to spend $6 a dozen on eggs. Like I couldn't afford all this really high-end organic foods. I couldn't afford to shop at Whole Foods. But I did it because I was scared and I thought it was the right thing to do. And then when I learned, hey, by the way, organic still uses pesticides. Like, by the way, large scale farms can do a great job. And I started touring and my following kept growing and I kept learning and uh, was traveling to all these farms and doing these farm tours. And the more I connected with the people that actually grow our food, the more I realized, wow, people are really misinformed. And I was misinformed. So for me, it became this passion of being like, holy crap, like people think they're doing the right thing and they're not necessarily doing the right thing. And so that's really kind of where it came from was taking revenge on my wallet (laughs) a little bit, you know, Um, and just giving science a bigger voice. When you break down, you know, where's all this misinformation coming from, you realize that the organic and natural food corporations are worth like $350 billion. So of course, these labels like natural and and everything, you know, they want you to believe that if you're not eating their food, you're doing something terrible. And of course, we should follow a healthy diet, right? Whole grains and lean proteins and fruits and lots of fruits and vegetables. You know, we all kind of know that, but it doesn't have to carry a fancy label to necessarily do the right thing. And you don't have to be organic to care about the soil. We really need to have a more unified message in agriculture overall. What do you think that message needs to be? I think the message really needs to be about inclusion, right? Let's say that you are an old school farmer and you're still stuck in a heavy tillage mentality. Telling somebody, hey, you, you're destroying the planet, stop it, F you, isn't going to make them want to switch gears. So the message needs to be, hey, 
I think you're a really great person and you're an awesome farmer. It's just talk to people how you would like to be spoken to. If you say, hey, like, I'm trying this new thing. I I know you're a little skeptical of this no-till stuff, but like, let me just show you how much my yields have improved, how much my soil has improved. We've got to be more inclusive and kinder to one another. So that's really my focus, raising awareness on communication and seeing how we can propel the message of, of soil health and conservation forward without putting down other people. You know, there's some movies out there, something like Kiss the Ground, for example. It's got some really great messages in there, but then they have to throw in this crazy propaganda or like guys in hazmat suits that we see oftentimes in marketing. And if you have a premise of a film, that's a good one, but you're too busy degrading farmers that don't do it exactly like you, like not everybody can do no-till farming. We hope they can, but and, and we want it and we promote it. But by telling somebody, well, it's our way or the highway, and if you don't do it, you're wrong, um, that doesn't win over hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. In terms of labeling, what do you think needs to be done or changed so consumers aren't just seeing this label organic and thinking this is better than that, even though maybe that has more pesticides than the no-till grain that's grown? Yeah, right. You really don't know. And that's the whole thing, right? A label doesn't really tell you anything about your food. Because I know plenty of organic farmers that use way more pesticides than a GMO farmer. I know uh, no non-GMO farms that still have herbicide tolerant traits. I know conventional non-organic farms that don't use any pesticides at all. It boils down to pest pressure and region. It doesn't boil down to label. So my advice is to knock it off with the damn labels. Because if people realize, hey, natural doesn't mean anything, organic uses pesticides, all meat is antibiotic free. There's no such thing as added hormones in poultry or pork. These are the facts. But people are so busy being bombarded with this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing to the point that nobody's going to believe anything we say anymore. And so why are we continuing to berate people over the head with a stupid friggin' label that scientifically is meaningless or just marketing to sell a product? So can we talk about how we're regenerative? Yes, and we should, and it should be great. But at what point do we throw the regenerative label on a product only to realize a decade from now that too is meaningless? So building building trust is important and talking about it is important, but I don't believe that labels are the proper way to go about it. In my opinion, we need to get outside the outside the box, meaning like have fun and, and humor with labels. I've seen a package of bacon where it's like beautiful, delicious package of bacon, but their marketing approach says, how to cook bacon. And then it (laughs) teaches you how. And it's like, if you don't know how to cook bacon, make sure you're complaining to our education system, right? Because everybody should know how to cook bacon. Um, I saw another one that was marketing beef and it said, how do you like your steak? And it shows like five steaks and it shows rare, medium, rare, medium, unfriend and block. (laughs) And so I used to sell direct to consumer meat from the farm. And I purposely put no labels on it and I sold the crap out of it. Um, my farm name was Buckingham Palace, where we treat our livestock like royalty. Oh. And so so the theme was like a royal, like a, it was a golden crown. It was Buckingham Palace. I wanted people to feel that it was a high-end quality product. So at the end of the day, you know, do we have to have our farms be named like rolling hill farm and prairie meadow and green grass and it's all beautiful and it's lovely and if people want to name their farms that that's great but let's think beyond the romanticism and once again break barriers how can we be different without necessarily labeling people to death what do you think it'll take for us to get past some of that labeling with 
people using it as a marketing tactic to sell more of their specific product. And then even from the federal level, there's different things that go into the labeling there. What's the solution to labeling that is actually informative. Having conversations within our community, the thing that's cool about agriculture is that it's a pretty small world and we all kind of know each other. And regardless of what kind of label or new trendy topic is out there, we're slowly going to adhere to what our neighbors do. It's just kind of the way that it farmers work. You know, it's just like, well, my neighbor did it this way. And so I'm going to try it this way. Um, and, and the younger generation definitely helps too. you know, where the younger generation coming into farming now is a little bit more open minded. At the same time, we have to think about some of these other influential films and why do people believe what they believe? You know, we've got some big time celebrities out there talking about veganism, right? We've got Prop 12 that just passed in California. So Prop 12 in California basically talks about how pigs have to be raised in a certain amount of space. They're changing the housing for pigs, but this is going to cost the industry billions of dollars um, to change the entire housing system. And really what this is, is creating the cost of, it's, it's creating the cost of meat to go up. You've got people like Leonardo DiCaprio and Ellen DeGeneres um, out there talking about how livestock are destroying the planet and how we should all go vegan. And so the reality is that if we think back to marketing within agriculture, think back to when I was a kid in the 90s, dairy was just the coolest thing in the world because we had the marketing behind it. We had every pro athlete, every celebrity, everybody under the sun. You just knew that dairy was healthy and nutritious. We can promote what we do, we can have celebrities in our corner um, touring and talking about farms. You think about somebody like a Mike Rowe, you know, Dirty Jobs. They're there. They have powerful voices. So we're making these strides, but we can get the message out there through the power of social media and improvements we're making, but sometimes it just takes the correct strategic partner. Celebrities, Netflix movies where they don't rip on people that aren't doing it this way. But we've got a lot of power to reach millions of people. You're talking about how it starts by seeing your neighbor doing it and starting in your small circle of people. So what do you think farmers can be doing to spread the message of regenerative agriculture and these practices that are good for the soil within their own community? free beer. <laughs> I mean, let's keep it real. <laughs> okay. No, in all seriousness, no, that is a great question. Uh, so when I was on the farm in Northeast Iowa, we, we were on, uh, had earned awards for Farmers of the Year for Soil and Water Conservation. So this is really the bread and butter of it. And uh, my boyfriend at the time, his brother was a soil scientist for the NRCS and led a lot of workshops. And we started a no-till society in our area. We started the hashtag soil your undies. We did this video. Um, he started hashtag no-till November. So we did a lot of these movements and started this no-till society and really kind of made a big splash in the area. And also getting involved in the community means, you know, Know, what's going on as far as like local events um, at different county fairs? Is there other conferences? Can we step outside of our agriculture bubble? You know, a lot of times there was people within the family that were speaking at conferences or at events that weren't always a farming audience. But um, just being able to talk about it and regenerate the soil or, or get involved with school events or education. And there's a lot of different ways you can do it. But yeah, I mean, creating a social event and having fun with it, free beer, I'll come back to it. Um, good food, just a reason why you want to go like special events, special people, special guests 
that says, oh, I should really get a ticket to go see that, you Mm -hmm. know? This goes to what you're doing now by taking it to the larger audience. And when you talked about being in the bigger cities and being so removed from where your food is coming from, what can people do to be more aware of that? When they're entrenched in this, they know every day, they know where their food's coming from. They know how it works. Yep. How do you get that message out then to the, the bigger population? I reached... 2.6 million people on my Facebook alone last month, right? And that's just one person, me, with one page. Imagine, and that's just Facebook, right? That doesn't include all the other platforms, but imagine if so many other farmers did this exact same thing. Imagine the power of our voices. Agriculture came together to fight back against Anheuser-Busch when they did the Bud Light anti-corn syrup ad. Talked about how Derek Josie, TDF Honest Farming, reached over 240 million people on his Facebook page last year alone. And so, wow, we have the power in agriculture to fight back against a company, a giant as large as Anheuser-Busch to say, we're not going to let you put us down. We're not going to let you bully us and say that corn syrup's bad when there's really no nutritional difference between that as a sweetener and other types of sweeteners. That's really kind of the key. And then how can our industry get back to what it used to be with the celebrity voices and the power we had, say, with like the Got Milk campaign or something like that? We can do that now. Um, talking about soil health and all these other great things. Um, There is ways that we can celebrate the good news. I know a lot of times people say, well, you know, bad news sells or fear sells. Well, there's definitely some truth to that. But there's also a lot of truth into helping people feel uplifted and and special and like feel good. And the world needs a lot more of that right now. Think about something like, so God made a farmer, the Super Bowl commercial, one of those beautiful, most watched, most well-respected Super Bowl commercials of all time. And it was a beautiful, feel-good message, inspiring and lifting up our farmers. We have the power to do that. We just got to do it. Are you involved with any marketing boards for agriculture on the federal level? I am not too involved with marketing boards on the federal level so much. Um, I do work as a social media influencer, so I do get little partnerships here and there where I promote and learn about different avenues. So, you know, I, I did a partnership with like North Carolina Sweet Potato Commission or, you know, Idaho Potatoes or, um, you know, all sorts of different stuff. And so from there, it's like I do go out and take tours and promote and, and share what I learned through. I'm I'm a writer and a columnist, um, and then through my social media and my writing, you know, it's, it's pictures, posts, stories, videos. So I try to be submerged in the field with farmers as often as I can, um, but a lot of that is just freelance work. So it all just depends upon what comes my way. <laughs> yeah, I feel like those federal marketing boards need to need to be reaching out yes. to you. Yes, yeah, thanks, I agree. And um, that's probably, I think, the biggest challenge we have, right, is you can take social media influencers or voices like myself or Derek Josie or Millennial Farmer, or Peterson Farm Brothers. Maybe we need some younger, fresher faces to come in and realize the importance of digital, the importance of social media and uh, podcasts and digital and, and TikTok and all of these things because this is where the information is. It's social media is the number one way to get our messages across millions of people. Get a, let's get a fresh perspective out there. 
there's a lot of really great people out there, um, but those guys are still farming full time, and then they do this on the side. Uh, I don't know how they have the time for all of it yeah. and still have kids and families on top of it, but somehow they make it work. But it, it is a matter of, hey, we do this because we love it and we see the value in it, but we don't have the budgets like the big federal guys sure. do, right? So if, if you've got a big um, you know, checkoff program or, or whatever that is, um, they're the ones that have the budget. It's just a matter of like, hey, can can you incorporate can you incorporate us or celebrities or can you kind of bring this all together? You know, it it can be done. We've seen time and time again how Netflix movies and stuff are definitely influential. Like even something like Prop 12 that passed in California, the people on the front lines of it were like a Leonardo DiCaprio and a Brad Pitt saying everybody needs to vote um, to save the pigs and. People think it sounds good, but they don't know the first thing about what that entails to raise a pig. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, yeah, we've got to be talking to each other. We've got to make sure policy works in the favor of farmers and um, and that celebrities understand what we do <laughs> so that they don't just go out and do a video that reaches 50 million people overnight that's full of crap. Um, it's important we all work together and, and strengthen our message. Because you are one of few women on our lineup. I was curious as to if there have been any unique challenges for you as a woman in agriculture. I actually do not think there's been any unique challenges for me as a woman in agriculture. I think women are continually proving to be just as competent, if not more competent, as men. I don't feel like it's really... um, weighed me down. Um, I don't think it's really weighing down the industry. I think we're seeing a lot more strength in women in agriculture. Um, even when you think about, you know, what an animal science class looked like 20 years ago compared to what it is now, we're seeing a lot more women getting involved, a lot more in veterinary science, um, livestock handling. I mean, there's so many amazing like strides taken for women in ag that I would say that it's a pretty even keel playing ground, you know? Um, playing field. (laughs) You know what I'm trying to say. It's cool to see women in ag grow. I mean, the only thing where I fail is like, I just suck at lifting heavy stuff. Sometimes uh, you just need a man to help you with like physical, like I can't build stuff. You know, if I need something built, I'm going to call my dad. I'm going to call a man to come help me put something together. But uh, that's just biology sometimes, you know, it's just, I'm just physically not as strong as most men I know. And maybe I just need to work out more. I don't know. (laughs) God bless the men out there too. You know, we need everybody in agriculture. I think the biggest disadvantage that I've had as a woman is just when people don't take you seriously when you go to make a purchase. Like I think Mm -hmm. the biggest thing I've had is like you go in to buy a tractor or you go in to take in livestock for, you know, for uh, processing. I've gone to buy things by myself and it seems like salespeople don't approach me. They don't talk to me. They don't give me the time of day. But the second I've showed up with a man, it's, oh, yes, how can I help you? And so I think that's the biggest thing is they think that just because you're a woman, like, oh, like where's her husband to make this big purchase? I think it's more of a financial thing than anything is like, oh, you can't do this. Um, or like even when I got some quotes for some work to be done out on my land, I live on 17 acres and, you know, I, I needed some, some, uh, equipment work done. And, you know, it's like, I went in there with, with a guy friend and all of a sudden, Oh yeah. When is this your husband? Are you guys going to, are you guys going to be around on Saturday? I'm like, this is my friend. I don't have a husband. Um, and I make the decisions. It's my farm, no one else's. And so, yes, you can come out and meet with me on Saturday. <laughs> and so it's like, I think that's the most annoying thing. And to anybody listening, that's like selling something, 
never underestimate the woman in a, that, that's got the credit card. <laughs> Whether it's the wife or you're doing it your damn self, you can do it. Before we get back to the conversation, I'd like to thank our sponsor, TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics, for supporting the Strip Toe Farmer podcast series. Want to do more in 2022? Now available in convenient planter box application, TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics is proven by Bex 2021 PFR to improve yield by 2.7 bushels per acre in soybeans and 4.6 bushels per acre in corn. It also nets $20,000 more in incremental income with every 1,000 acres planted. To calculate your ROI and purchase TerraSim for only $4.35 per acre, visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's newleafsym.com slash 2022. Now here's Michelle Miller, aka The Farm Babe, once again. So talk about what a day looks like for you and how farmers and farm associations are getting in touch with you and then what your partnership with them looks like. Sure. Every single day is different. It's been really cool because I started off on the farm and just selling meat and raising livestock. And um, I ended up I ended up having to kind of sell my livestock because I didn't really have time to even farm anymore, which is crazy because right? the whole thing I started was like, I'm going to raise sheep. This will be really cool. And then, yeah, I can't really do it anymore because I'm busy traveling. COVID threw a huge wrench in that, obviously. But now that that's kind of been winding down a little bit, hopefully, uh, it's, it's entailing a lot of travel. So mostly I make my living as a keynote speaker, speaking at conferences. But through my influencer partnerships, it's all been word of mouth. So people just find me. They like my content. I just did one in Louisiana a couple weeks ago where I filmed Louisiana sugarcane harvest and did a bunch of pictures and posts and fun facts and just about like where sugar, how sugarcane's harvested and how it's processed into the final sugar product and that whole procedure like how is it stored how is it shipped how much does one acre yield like how much sugar do we eat and where does that come from and it was cool it was really fun but that one day it was like a day and a half working on the farm with them and and that whole process it reached 1.1 million people just one day one and a half days of tours it was totally just a smartphone it was like 30 seconds all I did was film the sugarcane harvester in action. Have you ever seen sugarcane harvested before? It's so cool. <laughs> Most people haven't seen it. But seeing the equipment in action, that video is up to about a million views on Facebook alone. People want to know where their food comes from. So it's great because, so they reached out to me and I, and I go out and I learn and I share and I post and I talk about it. And then go back to them with this infographic that says, hey, we reached this many people. This many people clicked on your website. This many people shared your content. This many people did this. And they're like, wow. So I post it and I talk about it and, and people catch wind of that. So somebody else, you know, in the comment section was like, well, that's sugar cane. You need to come up and see sugar beets. And somebody else says, well, you need to come and see us. Like, when can you come promote Michigan cherries? When can you come to Oregon and learn about sod? When can you come to, you know, Texas and learn about cotton? And so it's, it's honestly just been this word of mouth snowball effect of, 
more people learning, hearing, referrals, word of mouth. Hey, you spoke at that conference. Will you come speak at our conference? Like, hey, we saw you were in a field of um, peanuts. You know, will you come see our crop next? And so I say, yeah, you know, email me and let's talk details. And so, um, you know, I do charge honorarium fees and stuff like that for it. But, you know, they see the value because it's really an added layer of advertisement promotions and helping people learn where it comes from, which is ultimately strengthening the messes we're all trying to put out there, <laughs> which is where does your food come from? <laughs> Most people do not know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's fun. I, I love what I do. I really, really do. Yeah. It's amazing to see some of that stuff that, like you said, the sugar cane, where it's like, I have literally no idea what that looks like <laughs> when it's harvested. And one of our no-till innovators, he worked with tobacco producers. Cool. And it's like, I saw videos of the tobacco setter working and I was like, I, isn't it cool? I didn't even know what tobacco looked like when exactly. it was growing. It's just such an amazing thing to see for exactly. somebody outside of agriculture. Yep. I completely agree. We're both from Wisconsin. Uh, originally, I'm from Wisconsin. And what do we see up there? You know, like corn, beans, wheat, you know, cattle, dairy, that's cool. But then once you're submerged, like I live in Florida now, and Florida is like watermelon, cucumbers, um, bell peppers, like sugar, citrus. It's like Florida is just like 250 plus commodities. It's crazy. But yeah, most people aren't exposed to it. So talking about it, and to your point, too, like, yeah, he, it was here in Kentucky, actually, where I saw my first tobacco field and I had the same feeling you did and just seeing how it's harvested and, and cured and all that stuff. It's like amazing. Even the crops that we take for granted in the Midwest, like, yeah, we all know corn and beans. But, you know, I've toured some farms where they say, well, you know, like or wheat, wheat is another big one. Well, I talked to this farm in Ohio and they said, well, our wheat actually goes into goldfish crackers. And, and it's the things that's like, I love goldfish crackers. That's you. Like all of a sudden you feel like you're talking to a celebrity. And here in Kentucky now we're in bourbon country. And I met, uh, I spoke at a conference where this girl, one of the event coordinators, her dad grows corn that goes, goes into Four Roses bourbon. And it's amazing to me how often, you know, I'll be like, hmm, what bourbon should I get? I'm going to get four roses because my friend's dad grows it. Like, isn't that cool? And so it really is these things that it's just like, yeah, we all eat, we all drink, we all do these cool things. Um, but once you say, whoa, like my friend's dad grows that, all of a sudden it takes it up to a whole new cool level of like, mm -hmm. I want to buy your product because I know where it comes from and I feel connected to it. What would be your advice for farmers who want to start getting that exposure out to people using social media? You just got to do it. And one of the biggest questions I get is people are worried about what happens if there's detractors, what happens if there's negativity. And that was my biggest hurdle that I had to overcome was like the nervousness and the fear. We have to understand that that is such a teeny tiny percentage of it, seriously. And the cool news about, uh, the good news is that once you build a following, if you do have somebody that's like a jerk in the comments, chances are your followers already schooled them before you even had a chance to. So the, that's the other cool thing about building a community is your followers are there to support you. They're always your cheerleaders. It's just like when you're a keynote speaker, you know, your audience is always your cheerleader. You have to remember that people follow you. They hire you for a reason. Every job, no matter what job in the world we have, is going to have a plus side and a downside. Everything's going to have a little bit of negativity. You could, you could work at a a factory and hate your boss, right? You could, you could work in an office and, and just, you know, not be able to make ends. There's, there's always 
pluses and minuses in every career. Um, agriculture would probably be like, well, you can have some pretty tough years and <laughs> deal with breakdowns, but we do it because we love it, right? That's what any anybody in agriculture will probably tell you. Regardless of what you do, there's a lot of good. There's a lot more good than there is bad. And um, and it's, it's sometimes just how we're wired. You know, you can have a million people be like, you are so amazing, and one person tell you you suck. Why do we put so much emphasis on that one person? Who cares? A million other people just told you you're amazing. But what's great about social media is not only can you take your farm to the next level, you can monetize it, you can have a side business, you can use it to prioritize and promote, you can use it to find employees, you can use it to, um, to, to boost your community, you can get involved in more markets, you can share events, you can post about events. Where are you at this week? What are you selling and where and why? What events can you promote on your farm to strengthen what you're doing? Can you do education? Can you charge admission? Can you do special events? Can you do a farm-to-table dinner? I mean, the possibilities are endless to make your farm more profitable. And so I think a lot of the times, you know, we think about conservation and no-till farming as more profitable, right? If you don't have to buy tillage equipment or you're building your organic matter in your soil or you're using less chemicals or less this or fewer that and you can save money here and fewer inputs there, whatever that looks like, uh, conservation programs, cost share, whatever, whatever that is, which looks different to so many different people in different areas. At the end of the day, don't we all just want to make a little more money? <laughs> don't we want to just do a little better today than we did yesterday? Um, and so that's what's cool about it. You know, you can take your diversification of the farm to another level. Do you want to add a new rotational crop in? Sure. Do you want to add a different type of livestock? Sure. Do you want to diversify and sell something additional off your farm? Yeah, you can do that too. Why not diversify into social media? Why not take that as a new avenue in your business and realizing what that looks like? Can you start a podcast? You know, you look at somebody like Shark Farmer, Rob Sharkey, still farms full-time, started a podcast. Now he's got an XM radio show, a show on RFD TV. You can diversify into media. And you don't always have to be a crazy expert in it to do it. <laughs> I don't have a degree in social media, <laughs> you know, but here I am. And here, here we all are. Farmers are very good at what they do, but maybe they also have a good story to tell or a sense of humor that everybody would, would really cling to, really love, you know? For so, sure. Yeah. What are the steps that you need to take to go from, hey, I'm posting this stuff to mostly friends and family to now I'm able to monetize what I'm doing? Building a following for me was, a lot of it depended on groups. Like I used a lot of Facebook groups and I shared content. I started off sharing content from other people who I really liked. So for me, it was like, hey, I'm just going to share this article. I started following other people and then I share their content to my page. And in return, a lot of times they would share um, content from my page. So we kind of started off with this exchange. And if somebody shared my content, I would go over to their page and be like, oh my God, thanks so much for sharing. Or I would get involved myself in their comments, just like they would get involved in mine. So when you're first getting started, I think a lot of sharing, commenting, supporting one another. I would share um, posts into Facebook groups, like my job depends on ag, science-based women in agriculture. Those are a couple of my favorites where you say, hey, guys, I just did this post or I just made this infographic or this meme. Like, what do you think? Um, humor goes a long way. People will share like just a funny infographic, funny video, funny meme. Um, humor is awesome always. Um, but just anything like that, that kind of helps get your name out there. So when I started monetizing, I guess my very first 
speaking engagement was in 2015. I started my blog in 2014, and I've been full-time since 2016. So it took about two years before I was able to monetize it enough to a career level where I could do this full-time. But really, it's again, it's just that word of mouth. So it's like people started hiring me to speak at talks, and then over time, your speaking fees go up a little more. And then throughout that time, um, you know, it's like when I first started speaking, they'd say, well, you know, while we have you here, can, do you want to see a cotton field? And I said, sure. You know, and it's like, it's like you're just learning and, and learning about all these crops. And then over time, you realize, hey, I'm posting on this, and they're getting a lot of uh, publicity and followers and, um, you know, sales and comfort and all these great things, where it, then over time, it, it's kind of just the same thing. You know, when you're, when you're starting off on the monetization angle, you know, your first talk or two, you might not get paid, or you might get paid very little, and same with farm tours. And then over time, your following builds, um, your value builds, your audience builds, and over time, it just builds and builds. And then from there, you know, you got guys out there that have been keynote speakers for 20, 30 years, and some of these guys are charging, you know, 20000 plus a talk, 40000 I know I talked to, some of these guys are making a million dollars a year to be a keynote speaker. Uh, I'm not there, <laughs> but it sure would be nice. <laughs> but it, it's just, it's just like any career field. You know, the longer you do it, the more of an expert you are, the more you can charge, and the more you build that that following, that monetization, and that branding. So, hey, maybe someday I'll be like Tony Robbins. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? But anything like Oprah, you know, anything they touch just turns to gold. You know, right. it's like I'm definitely not there. But, uh, but you know, you just think about it. It's just, it's just business. It's building that brand and realizing like, hey, this is, this is turning into something a little cooler than I originally anticipated. Yeah. But just go with it. Just go with it. Um, try it and you never know you, you might flop right somebody out there could be listening and say i'm i'm going to start a page and you know maybe maybe you're just not cut out for it it's not for everyone but it is for everyone because whether you have 500 followers or 5 million followers you can still have an impact you know sometimes it takes something as simple as a tweet to influence a corporation like burger king you know which one of my biggest communication breakthroughs i guess but i mean yeah there's just there's, there's so many ways you can make an impact, and it's, it's pretty exciting when we all come together and strengthen that. Tell us a little bit more about the Burger King breakthrough. So Burger King did this horrible ad in summer of 2020. Um, oh, God, this ad was terrible. It was called Cow's Menu, and they basically made it sound like cow farts were destroying the planet. But Burger King was going to make it all better by feeding lemongrass to cattle. Well, a lot of their research was not yet published, inconclusive. They had one study that looked good, but then it's like, okay, where are we going to source lemongrass? And, oh, the ad just made farmers look horrible, and they got a ton of backlash from it. And so I sent a tweet to their global chief marketing officer and explained why we were so offended by this ad. And I said, look, if you want to talk about sustainability, come on out. Let's talk about it. I'll show you. And I had a Zoom call with them, and they actually took me up on it. So I had the global chief marketing officer out on my farm. Wow. Yeah, it was really awesome. And they ended up retracting their original ad, and they put out a new ad where they filmed agriculture. They filmed farmers and just said, you know, hey, sustainability takes collaboration. So we went to some farms, and we want to see what we can do better. And that's what, we, what they did. So hats off to them. Yeah, I worked really hard at it. I had a bunch of experts together. I took them to a dairy farm with a methane digester. I took them to this large-scale cattle feedlot. I had like 5,000 head of cattle. Had the Iowa Farm Bureau, Iowa State professors, you know, CEOs of different companies, environmental stuff, talked about sustainability. Took them out to our no-till farms, right? Took, took them out to my field and said, you know, here's 
what we're doing with sustainability and, and put that all together for them. And so hats off to them that something as simple as a tweet and going back to the Bud Light thing, right? Something as simple as a lot of tweets from a lot of people that had a, a ripple effect into influencing corporations. I think it's important. May we come together and help people understand that we're doing the right thing out here. Agriculture is not perfect. Never will be. No, no industry is. But we're making huge strides and we deserve to be recognized for it as an industry. Mm-hmm, for sure. For people who are just getting started with their social media presence, how much time do you think they need to devote to social media to make it into something that's influential? So with timing, it's all up to you. I say every little bit counts. There are some days where I don't have time to look at anything, but there are other days where I have a few hours. So, you know, it can be something as simple as doing a post before you go to bed that's something that inspired you that day or something funny, or you're just out in the field doing something cool that you can just film while you're, you know, got, got your auto steer on, you know, or maybe your goat's doing something goofy. Um, there's one guy on Twitter who just posts pictures of Earl as donkey, right? And every day he's posting a new goofy video of what Earl's up to and everybody just loves Earl. So there's all these goofy little ways that you can reach hundreds of thousands of people by doing something that you're already doing every day every day. All you got to do is just turn on your iPhone, right? And so it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It can, you look at somebody like Derek Josie, he's, all he does is dairy farms every day and he films himself talking about what he's doing and busting myths. So it's cool. So I would say, um, just do it. And whether that's five minutes or five hours, every day on the farm looks different. And it also can look different on social media. Maybe it's a rainy day. You got some downtime, you know, maybe it's like the middle of winter and maybe you just read an article. It takes two seconds to hit share. Every little bit of content helps. Good advice. I know you've mentioned a couple of names throughout our conversation, but who are your favorite farmers to follow on social media? Oh, gosh, there's so many. I really love the Peterson Farm Brothers and their video parodies. Peterson Farm Brothers have become so famous for their music video parodies are hilarious. Uh, so I would say they're probably at the top of my list. Um, there's like Amanda, the farmer's daughter, um, say Minnesota farm living. I think Wanda does a great job talking about pig farming. Uh, let's see, New New Mexico milkmaid. She does a lot of environmental stuff. See Jess Farm. She sings to her cows. Yeah. Uh, Spruce Row Farm. She's pretty funny. There's so many. I've actually written some articles about this on my columns. We'll put a link in the story too, yeah, so there people you go. can find it. <laughs> For the people who aren't following you, who want to, where can they find you? Yeah, so if anybody would like to follow me on social media, I am Farm Babe on Facebook, and you can search at the Farm Babe on every other platform. So find your favorite favorites. <laughs> I'm on TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, you name it. Just search at the Farm Babe or Farm Babe on Facebook. And my website is thefarmbabe.com, which has links to more information about what I do as a writer, influencer, speaker. Um, and you can also contact me through my website as well, thefarmbabe.com. Thanks to Michelle Miller, aka The Farm Babe, for today's conversation. If you'd like to see her list of favorite farm influencers to follow, go to striptofarmer.com slash podcast and click on this episode. You'll find plenty of other podcasts about striptoe there too. Striptoe Farmer is on Facebook and Twitter, and you can let me know what you thought about this episode by sending a message or tweet. You can also go the old-fashioned route of a phone call. My number here at the office is 262-777-2441. Once again, many thanks to Terrasim by New Leaf Symbiotics for helping to make this Strip Till podcast series possible. From all of us here at Strip Till Farmer, 
I'm Michaela Faulkner. Thanks for listening.